The Way Out Podcast, episode 259. What is your name? Dino Miliotis. Dino, what was your substance of choice or drug of choice? Oh, man. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol, uh, vodka especially, was my my go-to. Uh, but, of course, cocaine, oxy, anything that... Uh, Anything that was around me did the trick, yeah. Dito, alcohol was definitely my first love, but I also very much identify with a fellow that I had met in treatment six plus years ago now who called himself a what you got aholic. Yeah, that's a good one. That's pretty much it sums it up, you know what I mean? Um, and I and I think I, I think I kept with vodka because it was easily accessible. I mean, yeah. think about it, you go to a liquor store, it's still legal to buy. But, um, you know, cocaine wasn't bad either. Right. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Uh, you know, and, and, and then you get into the mixing, right? And that's, yeah. uh, that's a whole different deal. What is your clean and sober date? It's uh, July 6th, 2020. Congratulations, Dino. Thank you. On man. a continuous run of sobriety that, if you're like me, doesn't happen by accident. No, it doesn't happen by accident, and it's not like a one-time thing. Hey, I'm clean, I'm cool. It's it's a daily thing, man. No doubt about it. What is your primary recovery program or pathway? Uh, my, you know, that's a good question. My primary one is service, and um, I say that now. I mean, we'll, I guess, talk a little bit in the story, but... It's helping others, and my way, my my way to reach people and help others was by writing this book, which is really helping me out too, immensely. Like every day, I get a charge out of doing this. I really do. Boy, could I relate to that, Dino, in terms of my own podcast. Uh, very much rooted in service, but I so often feel like I'm getting the better end of the deal. Yeah, me too. Isn't it weird? And people don't get it until they're doing it. Absolutely. And then it's just like, wow, where have I been, man? This is cool. So speaking of service, Dino, it's almost like these questions were written specifically for you. How do you serve the recovery community? The recovery community is basically by, by, you know, I'm a guy that's like lead by example. Right. And, and I want people to be able to say, if he could do it, I can do it, too. That's the whole name of the game. You know, uh, sobriety is no no joke. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to inspire people. I want to give them hope. I want to be able to show them by leading by example what life is after recovery. Like you're not going to be boring like you think when you get out of rehab. You know what I mean? Would we choose to recover out loud? And be a living example of recovery, we not only show others that it's possible, but that it's worth it. Amen. That's that's really well said. I agree 100% with that. What does recovery mean to you, Dino? Recovery is like rebirth, man, for me. Um, it's uh, going so long under the influence of something and believing that that actually helped me like in my business career uh, and, and falsely thinking that but how mm -hmm. else are you going to think you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then when you're clean um your mind is just so clear and just so focused and it's just like 
wow. You know, where have I been? I mean, you're talking about over 20 years I've been under the ether, so to speak, okay? Every day, continuously, not, you know, even on holidays, <laughs> okay? And so to come out of it um, is just, for me, amazing. I mean, I, I, I pray to God every day and I'm grateful every day that I'm sober. You make a really interesting point in that often we convince ourselves that our substance of choice makes us more creative, better, more energetic, whatever it is. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and, and it's really a, a function of our addiction saying, I need this thing in order to be able to be successful. Right. It's right. a lie. Well, it's a lie. It's a lie, right? It's like I, I need this because I'm more outgoing, or I'm not. I'm I'm not going to do well in this meeting because you know cocaine will make me sharper. And you believe it does. I mean, Absolutely. you know, you sell yourself. I was selling myself short because, brother, if I could do all the things I've done under the influence, imagine what I can do off of that stuff, like completely clean. That's scary. I mean, you, you know what I mean. And it's not just me. It's anybody. Absolutely. And then when we experience life without pouring our drug of choice all over our brains, we experience this new awakening that that really allows us to, as you said, focus and be committed in a way that we've never been able to before. Absolutely. And it's almost like the truth. It's like the truth is out there. I mean, you know, try looking at people. If you've ever been brave enough to go into a bar, which they tell you to do like right away, you know, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. But you know, <laughs> the, the, the day that I actually went into a bar to have like a juice or whatever and socialize and you just kind of look around you and you look at the people in real time um, getting dumber by the minute as they consume their alcohol, you know what I mean? To by the end of the night, friends turn into enemies, kissing turns into shouting, their logic is just all skewed all over the place. I'm like, wow, I'm watching like this train wreck right in front of my eyes. I used to be part of that, Absolutely. you know? And it's, a, it's an interesting thing to observe on the outside after being in it for right. so long and then and then coming out of it it's such a liberating experience is it not it is it's very liberating and you know again i mean but the thing is you um and this is very important we can say all we want to say about this we can we can talk recovery up like crazy but if you're not ready to take the first step for you for yourself put yourself first just once then it's not going to matter. You know, people have to be ready. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was ready. When I went into rehab, it was going to be the first and last time I went in there. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with all recovery rings and all recovery rings 
Com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's all recoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Whale Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, we've got a stellar interview with person in long-term recovery, entrepreneur, author, and gifted storyteller Dino Miliotis. A self-made millionaire, twice over, Dino shares his journey to and through recovery to this point with a frankness and candor that is as disarming as it is enlightening. Dino takes us on the roller coaster ride of his entrepreneurial successes and the material rewards that came along with it, along with the pernicious, progressive, and ultimately all consuming nature of his alcohol and drug abuse, which led to nothing short of a physical, emotional, and mental crisis that caused Dino to make a fateful and vital decision to walk away from his billion-dollar enterprise and ask for help with all the humility and willingness of a truly desperate man. And it paid off in a truly spectacular way. We discuss Dino's recovery, success, entrepreneurialism, and the incredibly important idea of bad habit displacement, where we replace negative habits with positive behaviors in the inspiration for his new book, There Is No Box. So listen up. Dino Miliotis, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Way Out podcast. You're an author, you're an entrepreneur, and I am tremendously excited to dig into your story, which is an incredible one at that. Before we do that, And before we talk a little bit about the book you wrote, There Is No Box, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we will get started. Thank you very much. Man, what an intro. 
And and great pronunciation of the title. There is no box. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, it's a it's a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, who am I? Um, I you know what? I'd like to know <laughs> too. Um, I'm I I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, some people called me a businessman, a salesperson. You name it. I'm the kind of guy that always wanted to ride the lightning. If, if that kind of makes sense, you know what I mean? In all forms. And so I took a very, very early uh, liking to business and, you know, what makes it tick, earning money, creating stuff out of your head, just ideas and making them a reality. That really turned me on. It wasn't necessarily um, wanting to go to school, so to speak, and get a college degree and stuff. I didn't want to do that. So I kind of lived my life my own way. Um, and, and, you know, everything I do, I ride hard. Unfortunately, part of that is also the addiction. You know, people like me, people like you, I'm sure, um, you know, we have that addictive gene. I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know what a good word is for it, but we just love that feeling. And so um, the book that I decided to write was my way of just kind of getting all that anger, all that frustration, all that energy on the paper. And I, I, you know, with a goal, the goal is, is that if I can touch and inspire one person, it's all worthwhile. And the feedback I'm getting so far is just absolutely phenomenal. And it's rewarding too. I mean, I got to admit, it's helping me more than it's helping others, I think. You know what I mean? Like you said, I'm getting the, the, the better end of the deal, I think. Absolutely. And when we make a decision to fully embrace our recovery and recover out loud and embody that and then use our God-given talents to be able to spread the message of recovery, what we get back from putting that out is right. nothing short of amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. You you got it right on the money, man. I agree. And I would have never believed it uh, before I got sober. Would have never believed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you get out comes back to you. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? But it's true. It's yeah, true. No doubt yeah. about it. So tell me a little bit about what life was like for you growing up. Uh, you grew up in Chicago, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I'm uh, born and bred in St. Paul and Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. So we know Chicago pretty well. It's a great town. Great food in Chicago, by the way. Great football. The Bears. The right? Bears. Yeah. Kind of a little rivalry we do. there. We yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, we do. No, um, Growing up in Chicago, you know, uh, I, you know, modest family, uh, loving parents. I'm not the kind of guy. I mean, I wish I could say, oh, my God, I had a horrible childhood. You know, I had a very loving family who allowed me to kind of explore my creative artistic side. I mean, that I will say. My dad was really strict. I mean, he was big on education. He was a school teacher all his life. And he's like, you got to get a degree in order to be successful. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so it was really tough. I mean, he was like, Hey, what are you doing uh, for, for summer break? Are you going to play with your friends before you start playing with your friends? Remember, you got to spend two hours every morning at the library. I'm like, dad, it's summer break. 
I don't care. <laughs> Two dollars. Yeah, I, I, you know, okay. But um, I just, um, you know, as 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 much as I embraced uh, that that environment and stuff, and I get where my dad was coming from about education being important. It is, as far as I'm concerned, education is education. But education doesn't necessarily equal success. Yeah. Meaning that I don't need a four-year degree to pursue what I want to do, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I dropped out of college, which just really killed my dad. You know, he made me promise that, you know, okay, you don't, you could stop going to college. You want to try this business, go ahead and try this business. But if you fail, you got to come back and you got to finish college. I'm like, yeah, I promise. Well, I, I never kept that promise because there's no way that I was going to fail. And go back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just chasing this wave. I'm just like, uh, you know, you, you or your audience may hate this part, but you know, business for me, the creative side for me came easy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I, I, you know, right place at the right time, seeing things a different way, whatever you want to call it. But um, I've become a multimillionaire twice in my life, not just once. Mm. I became a millionaire, filed for bankruptcy, and then did it again with a completely different idea, completely different business. And it wasn't until um, a little over a year ago uh, that I actually walked away from a billion dollar business that I built. I walked away just like I'm leaving <laughs> and walked into the doors of rehab. Man. I mean, a, I mean, it's amazing too, as you read through the book and I've just started, I haven't finished it yet, but reading through sort of the genesis of the creative process around the multi-million dollar business ventures there is creativity to it and i think a lot of people don't really associate entrepreneurialism and business necessarily with this sort of creative energy they think you know that has to be you know you have to be a rock star or a musician or an artist or something of that nature in order to really you know embody that supercharged creativity uh, not true at all well, no. It's at the heart of both successes for you. Yeah, it, it is. And so here's the thing. I mean, where some people like are really stuck on business cards and what you do in a nice little title. I remember always being confused about carrying a business card because I'm just like, what do I say? I'm so many things. I mean, I never looked at myself as an owner of a business. I consider that boring um, or a salesperson. That's fun. But you know, I, I, an entrepreneur to me is just kind of the most freedom you can have. It's like thinking up something and then seeing it become a reality. And at any time you can give it away or you could sell it or create something new. I'm not stuck to the same desk for 50 years. But if you think that all this kind of like hype and creativity only happens to rock stars, well, then you're looking at a rock star, brother, because for 35 years, I felt like I was on tour, man. Right. And then when that tour bus stopped and I went into rehab, it was just like, what's going on? You know you, you know what I mean? It's just like the world stopped turning, you know, and you're just so used to that, that energy. So, um, yeah, I've been really lucky, but it was believing. Here's the secret. 
It was believing that I could mm. and never letting anybody tell me otherwise. I got laughed at, I got ridiculed, I got called names and all that stuff. I mean, but I took that and I created, I channeled that into something positive, you know, and, um, you know, I did really well. I'm very, very fortunate. Um, I, I had, you know, I, so many different things. Um, so tell me about the process of channeling that negativity into something positive. How does that, how did that work for you? You bring a product to market, you have an idea, you have a pitch and somebody responds with, you know, either a flat rejection or some sort of mock and ridicule. How on earth do you take that and channel that into something positive? Is it that you that you change what you're doing or tell me about that? Well, that that's a good point. OK, so so I was never like the the guy that's going to go and present a product or try and sell you a pen, right? And show, go door to door, go show you a pen. Right? Like, you know, yeah, you're a salesperson, yeah. sell me this pen, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like the Wolf of Wall Street kind of thing. But what I <laughs> what I wanted to do is, is I wanted to change the perception of something. And the way to change the perception of something is to go grassroots. So what I did is I went to just regular people, not, not the retail stores, nothing like that. And they got excited about it. Then they told their friends, they got excited about it. Then somebody knew a high-end muckety-muck at some business, they got excited about it. And then I worked backwards. Now all of a sudden, everybody wants this pen. Why? Because it's being sold and, oh, I, I, I want to capture that market too. So it's kind of like reverse marketing. But uh, for me, there was, was no thought involved. I mean, I didn't read, hmm, I'm going to do reverse marketing. I just did what I thought I needed to do because I was just so damn excited about this. And what I didn't realize is that I was given a gift, which is to be able to inspire and motivate other people. So when I'm sitting there giving these sermons to people all the time, I never realized what a gift I had, but I created this following everywhere I went. And it served great during business. It serves great now during recovery because you want to get heard. <laughs> you know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah, you, you, you got to reach people. So we got to embrace what we have. And that's an interesting way to think about it, because if we are selling something or we are pitching an idea or, or, or a product, we are not going to get excited about it, buy into it, unless the person that's presenting it is as or more inspired about it, right? So you right. have to believe it and you have to be inspired about it first, right? That's, that, 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 is, that is required. And you talk about yeah, that, that in your book too, yeah. right? Like, yeah. not only do I want to know all about this thing, exactly how it works from front to back. I'm going to I'm going to look at this in a unique way and then I'm going to bring passion to it in how I tell the story of this product. Right, right. Yeah, the the better I understood something, then the easier it was for me to find an, a different application for it or present it in a different way. So what I always did, uh, my my claim to fame both times is that I was able to identify a need in the market, like a void, right. okay? Right. And so the first time, I mean, everybody's heard of the pet rock, this novelty. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Right. It's a freaking rock, man. It's just <laughs> a rock, 
right? How did it get so, you know, so, so, I mean, kind of carrying on that, my first claim to fame was with bug band. It's an insect repelling wristband that is just a plastic strap that you wear, right? And in it is uh, lemongrass, geranium, and citronella oil. I thought of putting those three oils into this band, this fragrance band. And so it became kind of fun and it was also a necessity. And it was a perfect time in Chicago because it was like these crazy rainy, um, you know, spring and, and summer months. And all of a sudden we were hearing on the news about mosquitoes and malaria and all this stuff. West Nile. Yeah, the West Nile. And all of a sudden here I come with something that's completely different than what people are used to. They're used to putting lotions and oils on their skin. Golfers don't like it because the clubs slip. I just found that out, you know, when I, when I was right. thinking of And all of a sudden they're like, wow, I could put a wristband on and I get the same protection. And it's kind of cool. And I would put a logo on it. So for Motorola, when they sponsored the Western Open that year, I put Motorola on. And I'm like, look, there's 50,000 human billboards, human walking <laughs> billboards walking around. Perfect advertising. So that's kind of how I see things. It's just like, you know, I'm, I wasn't splitting atoms or anything. It wasn't anything special, but it's just being seeing the right thing at the right time. And for some reason, that comes very easily for me. We call that being sort of a natural when it comes to the uh, entrepreneurialism, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. And a natural meaning that it seems like it comes easy. And a lot of it had come easy. There's a lot of parts in my story that are not so easy. And I thought that it was important to write about them as well. Because Absolutely. there's two sides. There's Absolutely. two sides to success. You know what I mean? No doubt about it. So, Dito, do you remember the first time that you drank? Was that a memorable experience for you? How old were you? And what was that like? Um, you know, it, 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 if you ask me that on, on anything, not just drinking, I'd say, you know, I can point back to a memorable first time with Coke. Okay, but as far as drinking is concerned, um, you know, I come from a Greek family. They're very social. They're very festive. We have weddings and all kinds of parties. And drinking was social drinking was just part of the culture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I can't really pinpoint a time when I first started drinking, but I can pinpoint a time when I started drinking heavily mm -hmm. and continued for over 20 years from what that was point. That? And that. And that was when I filed for bankruptcy. Um, it was uh, 1999 was actually when I filed. It was for 10 million bucks. And I felt like zero. I felt like nothing, like a complete failure, you know. Mm -hmm. And going through all this stuff because of bankruptcy, and I was so ashamed, I found that, you know, the bottle gave me comfort, right? And so, you know, I would drink. And here's the dangerous part, alone. Yeah. Um, pretty much in secret, uh, just because, you know, I mean, there was just gut wrenching pain and, you know, all the nerves and everything. And that kind of got me through. See, I'm still complimenting alcohol, <laughs> but that got me through the bankruptcy part, which was just horrible, you know. Uh, and then and then I kind of curbed the drinking and controlled it um, for many, many, many years until it just completely took me over. And, you know, honestly, I mean, if I, 
I didn't care if I was alive or dead at the point where I went to to uh, rehab. I mean, that's how bad it got. You know, but you you bring up an interesting and a, and a salient point, Dino, in that I think for me and I think for many others, it's okay to look back on. In fact, it's the truth that alcohol or or our drug of choice, our substance of choice, got us through. Right. It wasn't yeah. a perfect solution, obviously. Yeah. And ultimately it turned on us and it turned on us hard and it turned on us ugly. But at the time, it yeah. got us through. Well said. That's a great way to look at it. And that's exactly how I felt, because, see, when I filed bankruptcy, it's in the book. I was so embarrassed. I didn't even tell my family. I didn't tell my wife. I mean, as far as they were concerned, I was, you know, just interviewed on Oprah. I wasn't people exist anymore. And I would drink all day. Yeah. And then I'd come home <laughs> and pretend like I was out on a hard day's work. You know what I mean? And so I was deceiving everybody close to me and I was fooling myself. And like, like you, you kind of like alcohol became my friend, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a great deceiver, man. I mean, it's uh, it, it creeps into your life and it takes hold. And then you feel like you can't live without it. Absolutely. Any, any decision you make, you have to consult with the bottle of alcohol. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It becomes yeah. it becomes an ally, a confidant and a necessity in terms of being able to just cope with day to day life, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Tell me about how that progressed for you. You you're on the back end of this bankruptcy. You're kind of living this Jekyll and Hyde kind of life at this point. So right. You've got this veil of success and everything's okay to the outside world and to your family. Yeah. But it's not okay. Tell no, me how that that, that progresses. What happens? De definitely not. Well, I mean, I made a ton of money and I blew it all. And then the rest that I didn't blow, I blew on legal fees. And you got to keep in mind at the time, I mean, I knew nothing about lawsuits or why am I being sued and all this other stuff. It was, um, it was just, it just destroyed me. And so I dealt with it through alcohol. Um, everybody finally found out that I was lying, that I did file bankruptcy, my father, my wife, everybody. It cost me my marriage. Mm -hmm. um, we're on good terms with, with my ex, but it did cost me my marriage. She said, hey, you got to stop the cocaine. You got to slow down the drinking because I know you don't believe that you could stop. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? You got to slow it down because I, I don't believe you think you could stop. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I slowed it down. It was liberating to tell the truth even though I got a divorce, but I was just dirt broke and I had to figure out what to do with my life. Miraculously, I just ran into somebody that gave me another idea. And then I moved um, to uh, right downtown Chicago and uh, I was off to the races. And for the next over almost 20 years, I was a multimillionaire who was a function alcoholic okay did the success so, and the money allow you to function did that enable it did that enable your yeah, you, you know what i mean and that's a good point if i was poor 
People would call me crazy. Right. When you're rich, they call you eccentric. Right. I don't know what the hell the difference is, but it is true. Right. And so I probably got away with a lot more things uh, being in my position than somebody not. I mean, let's face it. Um, I, I, but I always believed that, um, well, nobody could tell I'm drinking, you know, like, like you know, I got the perfect facade. And for some people, maybe that was true for a long time. But time and alcohol is not your friend. Uh, and it just kind of works on your body and works on your body. And, and, um, and when it finally, like, took its toll on me, like, completely overtook me, was when my father passed away. Um, and I just didn't, I was numb, man. I didn't know how to take it. Um, and so I just kind of like, I mean, this big mansion, I write about it in the book. It's 9,000 plus square feet out in San Diego. I got everything I want. I got jets. I got Rolls Royces. I got Lambos, all kinds of stuff, all everything you could think of. And I'm still empty and I'm still alone. And I'm terrified inside because I can't stop. See, I'm not the guy. I, I, I never binged. Like, if you give me a bottle of vodka, I'm not going to drink it all and just, like, pass out under a tree or anything like that. I would sit all day. And so it's, it, was, it was weird for me because, actually, if I, if I didn't have a sip or two every hour on the hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I would shake like uncontrollably mm. and I get irritable and I get uh, anxious and sweat. And, you know, it's just, I knew at that time that there's no way that I could quit on my own, but, but, but you can't come to terms with the fact that you need help. Mm. Well, you know who I am. Do you know what I've done? You know, I mean, that's the kind of right. And the success is not your friend in that way, because what? it's easy to point to all of the material things around you and say, how can you say I have a problem? Exactly. I am the epitome of success. Right. I, uh, sure. Do you know who I am? Do you know where I live? You know what? And, and the thing is, alcohol doesn't know any race or color or, uh, um, you know, income level. It doesn't care it, about your checkbook, does it? No, it's an e what I call it's an equal opportunity destroyer. And that's exactly what it is, man. So, you know, it's like, well, you know, rich people don't go to, you know, well, sorry. Rich people do go to rehab, but the rehabs you hear them go to, the ones I heard of, and I'm not knocking anybody, uh, you could buy better drugs in these facilities <laughs> Then on the street. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, what, you know, what's the point? I'm not going to go in there or, or have somebody take a picture of me. And next thing you know, it's plastered all over the news. I didn't want that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I really wrote it out from the time in my head that I knew I couldn't stop on my own and that I did need help till the time I actually embraced help because I didn't want to die um, was probably a little over two years. So you went from this period of, I can manage this thing. This thing isn't a problem. I'm right. now twice successful riding right. this amazing wave of success. And ultimately the daily drinking becomes a dependency. 
And you're starting to reckon with this really uh, uh, after your father passes, right? Reckoning with this. This thing, I can't stop. What happens next? Well, by comparison to all the things that I've been able to overcome, right? Like I told you, business is easy for me. And alcohol was one thing that I couldn't beat. You know what I mean? It's just something that not that I couldn't. I well, I felt I beat it now, but I couldn't control it. I and I still can't. Ten years from now, ten years from now, if I have one sip of vodka, I'm dead. There's, I mean, that's how much control. That's how powerful this is. You're messing with something that's stronger than you, and 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 you have to recognize that. So, um, you know, here's the thing. After my father passed, I was pretty much staying in my house, working by just taking a few phone calls. I knew I started looking bad, so I didn't want to be visible. Mm. But of course, because I am who I am, I can work out of my house, take a few calls. Nobody's going to say anything. I got tons of people working in my building. Right. Right. But I started noticing that my day started to be consumed by when alcohol uh, liquor stores are open and when they close, who delivers and who doesn't. And, and, you know, how much do I have left before I need to worry about going out and getting another bottle? Same thing with cocaine. I had Coke stashed all over the house. And um, I mean, it got so bad. I was drinking about a half gallon of vodka a day. And I had a kilo of Coke in my house, all broken up and hidden in little parts. And, you know, I, I have this beautiful statue a bronze statue of two ladies that uh, was out by the pool. And one night I was out there just kind of drinking and sitting by myself. And I swear to you, the statues turned and looked at me. (laughs) So you, you know, there's a problem there, you know, when that happens and, and they're, and they're talking to me, right? Like, like I'm having a real conversation. Your mind is not your own, man. You're, you're gone. So you're really having this crisis at this point where you come to this reckoning of the amount of time and mental energy the uh, cocaine and alcohol addictions are consuming on a daily basis in terms of ensuring that you have enough. Will you run out? Where is it? Right. So you're really becoming consumed. Right. And that's the way I think. Right. And so here's the other thing, the balancing act. You have too much Coke. You got to balance it with vodka. Mm -hmm. Have too much vodka. Now you got to go back to the Coke. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the day, you're just like jello. Right. But believe it or not, even in that stage, I'm still making business decisions by phone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until this continued abuse uh, took over where I started getting ill. I started getting sick. Physically ill. Physically ill. So, uh, you know, I'm drinking all I'm supposed to drink. I, you know, I've, I've had enough. I don't have the shakes. I don't understand what's going on. But I mean, just violent, like convulsions and stuff like that. That's when I knew. I mean, I, I, I was just pretty much in bed all the time. That's when I didn't care. I didn't care about my company. I didn't care about my homes. I didn't care about my cars. Sell them, leave them. I don't care. I didn't care if I woke up and, you know, somebody somebody found me and, you know, I was dead in my bed, you know, mm-hmm. 
that's, I felt dead already. Yeah. I mean, every day was just that kind of a struggle. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's one of the hardest thing you have to come to grips with is I need help. And not only saying that, but you got to do it. Right. So I found this place um, out in California. It's, it's by Lake Arrowhead. Uh, and it's called Serenity Lodge. It's so good. It wasn't like the ritzy, high-class one that everybody promised. This was more like summer camp, you know? <laughs> I mean, it looked kind of fun. So did you just get to a point where you just decided you were going to go to this place? How yeah. did you come to that? It was You just made the decision at some point, I can't continue to live like this. I can't continue to live like this because if I had everything I ever wanted, which all my life was... I craved success. I craved money mm -hmm. and I have everything. And so I was very, very confused. How can I have all this stuff? And I'm still not happy. Right. 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 And now, now all of a sudden the, you know, the thing that was my friend all these years, Mr. Alcohol, right now he's biting me mm -hmm. uh, back and I'm feeling violently ill. So it's just like, I've reached a point where I didn't care. And for me to say, I don't care about anything. That's a pretty bold statement. So you got to understand when you call it temporary insanity, call it um, uh, a message, a sign from God, you can call it whatever you want, but some, something came over me where I just turned over all my clients to somebody else. And I walked away from a billion dollar business that's insane. All right. And didn't tell anybody where I was going. Didn't tell anybody anything. Um, and just walked into rehab. When I walked into rehab, I remember really clearly, I said, I don't want anybody to know who I am. I don't want to show off. I'm going to leave my fancy Rolex diamond encrusted watch at home. And I'm going to leave my attitude at the door. And that's exactly what I did because I didn't want to trick the system. And, and I mean that respectfully in that I knew that all my life, I, I have this gift, right? I, I inspire people and, and people follow me and I didn't want any parlor tricks to kind of dilute the message. I don't want any special favoritism, you know, like people treating me special. I wanted to go through this just like everybody else because I knew that this disease affects all classes, all races, everything. And I just didn't want to stand out as privileged. If that makes sense. Absolutely. It, it does. And sounds like you experienced in a very real way, a gift of desperation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it and gave you willingness to be able to walk into that treatment center with some humility, knowing that everything that you had done up to that point got you there. Right. Didn't right. ultimately work. The money, the power, the notoriety, the material yeah. things didn't no, help didn't you say. in the end. And then ultimately alcohol turned hard on you really hard yeah and god's got a real great way of humbling you <laughs> let me just uh, let me let me tell you that so and you know you know, what, you know it's interesting you say this humility piece because i'm in sales right and, and and i have that gift i've always known i've had that gift and two previous attempts at recovery 
prior to this one that God willing will stick six plus years in now, but two previous attempts at recovery, boy, did I wax poetically about recovery and steps that I had no intention of working, right? Because you already knew, you already knew in your head, right? So you were already tricking it. You were tricking the system. Absolutely. And I was only fooling myself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. I mean, so, so when I went in, I even heard about guys like you, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, And so I'm just like, this is the first, and I told all my counselors, anybody within earshot, this is the first and last time you're going to see me here mm. as a, what they call a client, yep. you know, but, but, but patient, I call it, whatever you want to call it. And they're like, oh, yeah. But then you, go around, then you go around and, and you find these people that are well-known. The counselors know them. Why? Because this is their ninth time mm. back or their seventh time back. And I'm not knocking anybody's attempt to recover. Any step forward is a good step, believe me. But dude, I don't want to spend another minute in a place that I don't have to. The the thing that I was most uh, concerned with was, well, if I stop alcohol, I'm going to convulse. I'm going to, you know, and I don't so want to withdraw, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. That's that's I mean, ultimately it's just like you've already realized, like I, I, I do want to stop drinking, but I can't because okay, well, they took that crutch away from me because they have all these wonderful withdrawal pills there, right? And so the first couple of days I was on these, and I'm just I remember saying, Wow, you know, I'm not I'm not craving it, and I don't have the shakes and all that stuff, but everything was nice, you're like. Nestled in this nice little cocoon, they they feed you three times a day and they take your temperature and they take your blood pressure, all good things, right? Until I found that in this rehab center, they had two things I absolutely love. You ready? Yeah. The first one was a full-blown gym, right, that you could go into, which I thought was like cool because in the back of my head, you hear over the years, you know, I wasn't ignorant to the fact about people who tried quitting and whatever. So you hear things. You, the, the best way to replace a bad habit is with a good habit. Absolutely. Right? And so if you have a full, full, full blown gym there, I mean, that's like step one. But I couldn't use that facility uh, until after I was off my withdrawal medication because that's considered a hazard. So I was, I was confined to a room they call detox. The second cool little trinket that was being, you know, waved in front of my face was a full studio, music studio. Oh, cool. That, yeah, yeah. Un- unbelievable. So they had a full drum set. And I've been playing drums for years, right? And they had amps, you know, big stacks of amps. And they had bass guitars and, and you know, lead guitars. I I couldn't, I'm like, how do I get in this place? You know? And they're like, well, first you got to stop your withdrawal medication. I'm fine. I stopped. Well, you need it. You, you, you know, you're, you're only here two days. I'm like, I stopped. If, if, if that means I get to go to the music room and I get to go to the gym, I stopped. So guess <laughs> what? I stopped. I, I, I didn't start taking the, you know, these medications. I ran to the studio. I ran to the studio and I pick up the sticks and I sit there. There was nobody else in the room. And I start banging the crap out of these drums, man. I mean, I was just like, I was building up a sweat. Next thing you know, 
again, here we go with the gift. Somebody comes in, uh, hey, I play bass. Can I play with you? Sure. Somebody else, hey, I play guitar. Can I play with you? Sure. Next thing you know, we have our own little band there. You know, I call them the, the Folsom, live from Folsom County Prison. You know, <laughs> we, we had this little band. But then every every morning I would go to uh, the gym and I would, you know, set, because you have a group and breakfast and stuff, you know, it's got to be early. So I would work out at 5 a.m. So the first day I worked out myself. Second day, a couple more people, you know, showed up. Third day, fourth day. By the end of the week, a counselor told me, hey, are, are you in the physical training? And, you know, are you a trainer? I'm like, no, why? He's like, you got 20 people following you every morning at five o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, yeah, that was the first time in a long time that I started to understand again. I mean, I walked in less than zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this was the first sign that I was like, I still have it. Maybe I've always had it. I just got off track a little bit. That's all. You know what I mean? When you're following people and they want to look to you for guidance, that's a gift, man. Don't, don't, don't push it away. Embrace it. And so that, that kind of gave me the strength to, 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 to complete my rehab, knowing that this was just fun. The real work started when I walked out the door and that, terrified me. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that. A couple interesting things to highlight that I think are instructive from a recovery standpoint. You talk about this bad habit, good habit replacement, and we call that displacement. We're going to displace this bad habit. Okay. And it's going to create a void. Yeah. What do I fill that void with? Well, let's fill it with a positive activity that you enjoy that's also healthy so whether that yeah. be the gym whether that be music whatever that is for you and there's so many right that could be pickleball that could be anything whatever but yeah. you know, when you are coming off of a destructive or negative behavior pattern addiction or alcoholism or some sort of behavior addiction Look to positive activities, right? To displace that. Absolutely. You have to have it because your mind, you got to remember your mind, you know, I, I, I take like the beginning steps of rehab and, you know, you know, these people that just had just suffered trauma. You know, when you talk about people that get in accidents, motorcycle accidents, car accidents, oh, they've suffered trauma. And so now we got to go to rehabilitation. That's the same thing with Absolutely. this thing. Your body's shocked right? And your mind is just like, what do I do? You know, I'm used to being entertained all day and, you know, uh, with drugs or, or alcohol. What do I do now? You know, and, and so you got to you got to start replacing those. Um, I think they call them endorphins. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're rewiring your brain with these positive activities instead yeah, of this we, sort of like instant dopamine hit that we're used to just sort of slam and dope it, you know, in our brains. Right. It, right. We're doing it in a positive, healthy way. And we're allowing our brain to produce it naturally Absolutely. to get back to like those, what, what I call those natural highs, you know, like right the lightning for me that started as a natural high. Absolutely. Right. It, it morphed along the way, but now I'm back to like square one. And we call you know that I mean? homeostasis. Your body will 
adjust back to this homeostasis, as you said, experiencing these natural highs instead of these artificial highs. Absolutely. See, you got the cool words to go with it. (laughs) I'm like, all right, yeah, homeostasis, that's it. You get this little spark Mm -hmm. when you understand that folks are starting to follow your positive behavior, right? And yeah. you you get this 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 sudden spark that says, you know what, I still got it. But you're in the cocoon of rehab. Right. And right. so what happens, Dito, when you leave the comfortable confines of adult summer camp? Well, and- I, 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 I you know what? You should have you should have helped me write my book. You got pretty words that are coming out of your mouth. I love it. All right, so here's here's the thing that was just like crazy scary for me. When I when I was coining out with my group, and they handed me the coin, and then I overheard somebody say, take a look to your left, take a look to your right. Mm-hmm. Chances are 98% that those people will relapse before the year is up. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me, man. I mean, I knew that the, the, the odds weren't good, but like 2% make it. That's crazy scary. For me, it is. Because, see, here's the thing. I mean, I didn't have to run back to a job, right? I didn't have to work. Thank God. I didn't have to worry about, you know, paying bills and stuff like that, which, you know what? Utmost respect. And I appreciate how hard it is for those who have to. Okay. So let's put that in perspective. But I knew, I knew that it was going to be tough because. I left everybody behind. I left. I had no wives. Was divorced. Was, that was my third divorce, by the way. Hey, do you uh, know? You know, I had a feeling we had a few things in common. <laughs> I also, I also have been married and divorced three times prior. They just to- don't listen. I don't know what's wrong with them. What's wrong with them? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's- you, you, you're like, hey, I'm perfectly fine, but they're, hey, they're the right. After the third one, it was definitely something wrong with me, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. The problem has always been, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, pretty yeah. sure. But um, look, you know, I was I was about to leave rehab and I was about to go into nothing, okay? And like I said before, and I meant it, you know, you ever see the, you know, the, the behind the music kind of things on TV? Where yeah, the take- VH1, the crash. Yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I love those, by the way. But anyway, I mean, I felt kind of the same way. I'm like Aerosmith that was touring for 30 years, you know, going filling out arenas and you get that adrenaline and stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get out of rehab. It's like, oh, you know, I, the, the, the first thing in my head is I'm going to be boring. Right. And I have to be good. And okay, I mean, because nobody tells you how you're supposed to be, but let's face it. Uh, you know, I wasn't gonna go back to the people that I knew. Okay. Everybody that knew me knew me with a drink or knew me high. I just don't want to be reminded of stuff. So I have to start from scratch. That was scary enough, but guess when I got released? Right in the middle of COVID. The COVID lockdown. Oh, I forgot about that. The COVID lockdown. So you have your choice to be locked down in California or it's to be locked down in beautiful Idaho. Well, I'm going to take Idaho. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's it's a little more peaceful. It was away from um, 
it was away from, you know, all the, all the noise in California and stuff like that. And I can just kind of relax and see mountains and foothills and the snake river and all that stuff. But lockdown was really hard, man, because, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how everybody else was, but me just, it was just me. There's no friends. There's no family. There's nothing. There's no work. And, you know, I'm sober, I'm clean, I'm bubbling with things that I want to do, but I'm overwhelmed with this lonely isolation. Yeah, and isolation is really problematic for us, man. It was just working on me day after day, and I tried to be good about it. I mean, I get up and, oh, what am I going to do today? Here's the fun part. I'm going to have breakfast. Ooh, and then I'm going to go work out. Thank God there was a gym in, in uh, near me where I can actually work out and, and wear a mask, but it, it was okay. I did it. But then you come back, what do you have? Lunch. And then what do you have? Dinner. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> you don't talk to anybody all day long. And uh, all the all the television stations are like, you know, uh, Law and Order, 456 episode binge-a-thon. <laughs> I watched it. Okay. I'm the one. I admit it. I watched the damn thing. I should have a degree. Okay. Uh, but But, you know, this was my life for months at month after month. And so I, I received a, a bunch of calls from, you know, it was just a matter of time before they came out of the woodwork, you know, uh, past associates I work with. And they're like, Hey, I'm glad you're doing okay. Just called to check on you. And you know what? I'm dreading picking up the phone because you want to be nice, but it's just like, there's triggers and stuff. People who have quit understand what I'm talking about. Absol- oh, Absolutely. But I mean, one of them was just like, hey, you know, so-and-so is asking about you. You should come back to the industry. It would be the greatest comeback in the industry. You know, you were a genius. You were this. But you know what? It wasn't money anymore I was after. I wasn't chasing that kind of lightning. It didn't. My, it wasn't it, my heart. It didn't feel uh, like something I wanted to do. I wanted to do something completely different, but I didn't know what. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this uh, repetitive, continued isolation was really working on me. So I will tell you, right? So I get out of rehab in August 2020. August, September, October, November, December, January. Now we're in January. We just finished the holidays. They're still playing the, the Christmas, you know, movies and stuff like that. And I remember It's a Wonderful Life was going to be on all day long. Yeah. Right? I love that movie, but it's just like, okay. I I got those demons back, man. They started calling me. The isolation and everything. I just like, I don't know why, but I'm just like, you know, I got to have a drink. I need a drink. Now, th- this is in the book, okay? This is in the book. So I find a place that's open during COVID, a liquor store, and I go and I buy a bottle of vodka. The cheapest, like, pop-off, whatever. It's seven bucks, right? Big, big old bottle. And I bring it back to the house. It's a Wonderful Life is playing. And, you know, it's it's about the, uh, up to the part where he realizes, George Bailey realizes that, you know, um, his life does matter. And if it wasn't for him, he wouldn't have touched this person, this person, this person. And he, I remember he tries, he, it's, it's at the time where George realizes his life has purpose and meaning. Yeah, thank you. There you go again. There's perfect. 
And so, you know, I remember looking up at the TV and just like yelling, yeah, you know what? That shit never happens. And then I remember I'm just like overwhelmed with just like grief and I'm just choking up and I'm crying and I'm staring at this bottle that I want to open so bad. And I'm like, please show me the way, show me what I'm supposed to do. Please, I'll follow you this time. And I pushed my drink away. I pushed the bottle away. I didn't have a drink. And then I get a text on my phone. You ready? Yeah. So it's this kid. He's 21 years old. I had met him when he was 17 years old. He was washing. He was working at a car wash. And I remember this kid specifically because when he was working at the car wash, I brought in like, I don't know, Rolls, Lamborghini, whatever, pick one of my cars to wash. And I remember this kid ran up to me with a pen and a pad. And he's like, excuse me, sir, I, 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 I don't want to you know, bother you, but you know, I want to one day start my business. And I have a bunch of questions I want to ask you about business. And would it be okay if I wrote down some notes and exchanged numbers? I'm like, yeah, sure, kid. You know, I gave him some <laughs> advice. Like I've done so many other kids through my entire life, but you never stick around to see if it helped them or not. Right now, fast forward three years, I'm ready to take a drink. I say a prayer on my knees, show me the way. And I get a text from this kid and it says, hey, I haven't talked to you in a long time. Don't know if you're in town, but I wanted to tell you how much your advice has helped me over the years. If you're not doing anything and you're in town, I'd consider it an honor to take you to lunch. And his exact text I put in my book. I call him car wash kid in my book. Now, you look at stop signs yield signs, speed limit signs. If everybody's like looking for a sign, brother, this is a sign. I don't know what other way you can look at it, but as soon as I read that text, I was just like, ding, of course, of course. Everybody has been asking me about my life story for so many years. Everybody's been asking, how do you do this? What do you think of that? My opinion matters. And I'm just going to throw that all away. And I'm feeling all you know down on myself in this pity party. Now I have purpose. I want to spread a message of hope. And so I immediately knew what I wanted to do. And I wrote my book from that day, January 27, 2021. From that day, it took me seven months to finish writing my book. And brother, I am... I'm not a, an author. I consider myself a storyteller. So if everybody's looking for grammatically correct sentence structure and all that, uh, probably not your first choice. However, if you want a story where every word I wrote, I felt, I cried during the sad points in my life. I laughed at the funny moments. I was giddy during the successful moments and things that were just, I mean, I wrote that book with so much emotion. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to write the book so that the reader felt like I'm with them while they're reading. Like we're taking this journey together and we're going through these incredible highs and incredible lows. And, you know, the most rewarding thing now being out of rehab, you know, purpose, purpose, man, purpose for me is everything. And I've never taken a drink. 
I don't feel like drinking. I don't feel like getting high. I don't think about it. My mind's not consumed with it. What my mind is consumed with is a million projects. You have no idea. But, <laughs> but the first thing that I, I made a commitment to do is to reconnect with my audience. And that's through this book. So until, you know, to be continued on all these wonderful other crazy things. But right now I'm selling my book because I know that a lot of people felt like me, uh, especially when they were probably in lockdown and COVID too. I mean, imagine being locked down somewhere and you're on some kind of sub substance, you're abusing mm-hmm. cocaine or you're drinking or you're with your significant other and there's domestic violence or you're treating your kids or your animals like crap. I mean, imagine what it must have been like for millions of people, right? This basic book, it's not a how to be successful book. It's not a rehab book. It's just a story of my life, which happens to have all of these wonderful elements in it. Uh, And it's, I wrote it so that when you're done reading it, you feel like you can take on the world. It leaves you feeling inspired and it feels you feeling like you're not alone. Um, You had your own George Bailey moment. Yes, 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 yes. Provided the genesis for there is no box. And unlike a traditional, what I would call crash and burn recovery story, memoir, and as the host of a recovery podcast, you know, I've read a recovery memoir or two. (laughs) Okay. And so this is really great because it does just read like a story. Yeah. And I appreciate the humility that's baked into it and the hope that's baked into it. And as you said, if you felt like I felt, if you thought like I thought, if you did what I did, right, well, you can get better too. Right. And not only can you get better, if you're willing to do the work, recovery is absolutely worth it. Yeah, absolutely worth it. And all your fears and phobias, once you find your purpose, whatever that is, and look at me, how many times I've changed careers. I didn't just pick one path. Well, I'm a banker, so I got to stick with banking. Dude, I'm writing a book. I've never written a book in my life. I've never read a self-help book in my life. How does this happen? But I needed to say what I had to say. I got so much to say, right? And this is just my way of service. Other people's is going into meetings, not knocking that. Go to AA, do your thing, right? Or helping somebody one-on-one. I just figured this is my way to try and capture masses just to plant the seed in somebody's head. I'm not an extraordinary guy. I'm an ordinary guy just like you who lived an extraordinary life, but it's not exclusively reserved to me. Everybody can have one. Everybody can have one. And life after recovery is fun. And the people that don't think you're fun anymore after you recover, brother, you need new friends. I mean, and you're going to have to come to terms with some of that stuff. They accept you new, 
beaming with energy and hope, or you, 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 you say goodbye and maybe we'll meet in the winner's circle one day. But for right now, you got to associate yourself with all the things you need to just stay off of the, the substances. You know what I mean? You're a living example of living proof that when we recover, we could use our God-given gifts in the spirit of brotherly love and service. And when we do that, it's an extraordinary experience and things will unfold that will absolutely surprise you. Yeah. And I am here to tell you that if I had told you what, uh, you know, I thought recovery was going to be like on the front end, you know, I, I would have sold myself short. And yeah. we get to live lives of purpose using our God-given gifts. And really, in the end, isn't that what it's about? That is exactly what it's about. And, you know, and, and, and let me also add, what we're doing right now doesn't mean we have to be uh, poor. Okay. You, okay. So you can help people and you don't have to be poor. See, I help people and I'm poor. And there's no crime in, in creating wealth, the money. But, but the way I look at it is if you do all the right things and you have fire in your belly and you're passionate about what you do, the money always comes, yeah. always has, always will. If you think of the money first, and like a lot of the kids now, they're thinking like, well, you know, um, success is having a handshake in the middle of lunch. And, you know, I have this billion dollar business it just doesn't happen like that. OK, um, but, um, you know, the wealth and the success are a byproduct. Exactly. They are a byproduct and, and they do happen. And it's OK. You should. Yeah. And, and, and a positive byproduct of. Uh, a life of meaningful work and purpose and using your gifts and talents, which is what the God of my understanding wants me to do. The God of my understanding wants me to use my gifts and talents and give them to the world and enjoy the success that comes with it. Right. Uh, uh, and with humility that's, and that's, with, that's, and with gratitude. Right. Absolutely. And so, like I said, I mean, this writing the book is, is just in, solely intended for spreading hope and reconnecting with my audience. But then after that, you're going to see a lot of cool things for people like us, right? People that have the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial bug, but also who are recovering addicts, okay? I want to focus on them. Uh, you see these shows and everything where they're called Shark Tank? Yes. That's kind of a vicious thing. I'm more like a wolf pack which is just a family raising its own who maybe, you know, I, I, you know, I hate being typeset. I, you know, it's not going to bother me, but I could easily see somebody who has been in rehab, who has recovered. People look at you different. They look at you like, you know, it's probably more acceptable now than it used to be, but somebody who's gone through the, through the doors of rehab, it's just like, Oh, you know, they're just waiting for you to fail. You know what I mean? I want to take those people, those people who have heart and fire, who have recovered, and I want to select some and I want to start nurturing them with mentoring and training and building businesses for them. 
Love it. And I, yeah, I think Love it's it. going to be like the coolest thing. Love I it. think it's good. And I can't, like I said, I'm already there. <laughs> but right now, I'm selling a book. I love it. I love it. There is no box. I highly recommend it. Dino, are you ready for some rapid fire questions before we close? Yeah, absolutely. Dino, what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Um, I wake up and um, I collect my thoughts with a cup of coffee. I go work out, which is like embedded and grained into me. And then I'm able to start my day. If I don't work out, it's almost like I'm not breathing enough air. Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be a long workout, but like a 20 minute thing, 30 minute thing, believe it or not. But you got to get it's, it's just my it's part of my recovery. And I like it. Um, and then the rest of the day has been consumed with this, you know, book um, appearances, podcasts, Things like that. Um, the the self care that's embodied within daily physical activity, whether for you that's working out, for me that's uh, a daily walk or two with my recovery dog Louie. Yeah, it's really important from a recovery standpoint. We talked about it. This is about that displacement of bad habits to good and and you know if we make it non-negotiable like it sounds like your workout is non-negotiable and my daily walks with my recovery dog are non-negotiable then it provides a really firm foundation for not only recovery but wellness in general yeah, and I think more so with people like us, uh, we hate to admit it, but we do need structure. Yes. And, and, and so this for us, your walk and my workout, that's part of the structure. Um, like, I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I'm very creative and, and can be very random, but everything I do involves thought. Um, and so as an example, I mean, I can't do this podcast, turn it on 30 seconds before we're on and then I'm good to go. I mean, I'd like to sit down for five minutes and collect my thoughts and so forth and be ready. And that's all it is, is be ready, be prepared and be mindful and intentional. Exactly. Exactly. What book or piece of recovery literature had the biggest impact on your recovery? You're going to hate when I say this, but none, because I hated reading. I read, (laughs) no, it's true. I read uh, until I dropped out of college because I had to, but other than that, I wait to watch the movie. So to answer your question, uh, I don't read books. But you wrote one. I know that's the weird thing. I wrote my book and people are like, but you've never read a book. I'm well, like, I, I would say, Dino, I'd say your book probably had the biggest impact on your recovery. Would you not I, say? Yes. And that's a good answer. So there is no box by Dino Miliotis. <laughs> that's the one that's helped me. No, and honestly, it did. Yeah. What is the best piece of advice you've received in your recovery thus far? The best advice I've received in my recovery is um, when they talked about service and one day at a time. Um, So I'm just going to say this, throw it out there. The recovery was great for me. Do you know what the hardest thing for me to kind of wrap my head around is the finality of it. Mm. Not that I don't drink, 
but that I, I can never drink again. Dude, that for me, it just, it took some time. That's like forever, forever, ever, ever, forever, ever. <laughs> what if, that what was, if, what yeah, if, what yeah, if. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. I, so, um, you know, a counselor was trying to beat that into my head and saying, you know, service, service. I'm like, okay, I get the service, but isn't it a little too churchy, you know? And then I get out. Now, look, wow, I get it. Okay. I get the, the service part. Absolutely. What is the greatest challenge that you've had in recovery thus far? Um, the greatest challenge, I think, is making the choices that are best for me. Um, I'm always a, I, I take care of things and I'm always the pleaser. So for me, putting me first mm-hmm. in that capacity is really hard. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't outwardly seem like this, but I'm, you know, a shy individual and thoughtful and so forth. And I, and I take care of the needs of others, but this time it's going to always be about me. So if I find myself somewhere where, you know, something's triggering me, I don't get the vibe or I see something that I don't like, I'm gone. And I don't have to apologize or explain. That's been kind of my biggest challenge. I haven't failed, but it's uncomfortable to have to do, but nobody else is going to do it for you, but you, you know, so you have to. I'm so glad you brought that up because setting boundaries and prioritizing our own wellness and self-care is often extremely difficult. Yeah. And can be very easy. And the first thing we sacrifice in an effort to ensure others are happy or have what they need. And that's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it is uncomfortable to set boundaries. And it is uncomfortable uncomfortable. to say, hey, no, you know what? I need to do this for me and for my recovery. But when we do that, we are making this daily amend to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not feel bad because you feel selfish. Uh, but, but also, you know, I don't, I don't think I have to tell somebody, Hey, you got to respect that I'm sober and clean. I mean, you know, if they come in and they know you're clean and sober, it's not going to bother me now. And I'm, I'm pretty new at the sobriety. Okay. By way of comparison to you or others and so forth that have years and years I'm, I'm, I'm a little over a year, but if somebody did a big old line of cocaine in front of me, it wouldn't make me want to have it. Mm-hmm. I just find it very disrespectful yeah. that, 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 you know, something like that would happen, you know? And so it's stuff like that, that I just try to avoid. And it's just, uh, it's me first in that capacity. Absolutely. And not putting ourselves in situations yeah, which could be potentially harmful for our own peace of mind or well-being, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. What is the greatest success you've had in recovery? The greatest success, man, the greatest success is uh, not writing the book, but the feedback I'm starting to get. That, for me, is the greatest because it's just, you know, honestly, like the, the, the first sale for the book, 
I was like biting my nails because I'm like, oh my God, they're going to pick apart my book. It's probably the sentence structure is weird. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like uh, when I was in English class in high school, you know, I'm all nervous. Am I going to get an A? But people kind of look past the grammar part. I mean, I'm sure it's well-written, but but it's not like a, like a real writer. And they come back and, and it's more the, the feeling that they feel. It's rewarding for me, you know? For them to tell you, hey, I love this book and oh my God, this is great. And I'm going to have so-and-so read it. And here's what I got out of it. I mean, you know, you, you get all this um, feedback. I love it. And now um, one of the greatest things is, is people are starting to ask me questions. Mm. What do you think? I've been thinking about doing this kind of business for a long time. What would you advise? Wow. How cool is that? That's great. Yeah. yeah that's tremendous. It. Love it. Love it. The next one's a doozy. And then we're yes. going to end with a fun one. <laughs> what is something you haven't forgiven yourself or somebody else for? Hmm. Wow. That's a good one. Okay. So if I was doing the 12 steps, one of them is forgiveness and forgiving all the people, even the ones that's like, do I really have to go back <laughs> and find this guy and tell him, Hey, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. So, you know, truth be told, I didn't follow the 12 steps, but what I went into wasn't a 12 step program. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't, you know, okay. Although I'm sure it worked. So I haven't really um, said, I'm sorry to a lot of people. I just figured just leave them in the past. And that's worked for me. Um, I initially, my, my, regret was was just the wasted time mm. uh time that i wasted but you know if you ask me like you're asking me right now today's answer is going to be i have no regrets because here's the thing maybe i was supposed to do all this maybe i was supposed to experience all this because maybe what i am meant to do i haven't even started doing yet maybe all this was training like you run a marathon, you have to train before you run it. Maybe I've been training. So the best is yet to come, brother. And I have no regrets. And it takes what it takes. Yeah, it takes what it takes. Exactly. And there's this acceptance around that attitude and experience. Say, yeah, there was these years. And that's common to look back and think I wasted this time if I would have gotten into recovery sooner what would life have been like but to fully embrace with gratitude yeah where you're at today and knowing it took what it took yeah exactly this is the fun one they've all been fun <laughs> okay go ahead. what song symbolizes recovery to you really Oh, this is perfect. Okay, yeah. Um, I I had three that I picked for my counselors in rehab, believe it or not. But the one, the first one that I picked was I'm Still Standing by Elton John. I love it. Dude, that's the best song if you just listen to the, to the words. You know what I mean? I'm still Absolutely. here. I'm still Absolutely. standing. Did you do a cover of that song? with your recovery band in treatment 
No, because they didn't they didn't know that song. <laughs> they didn't. We only play songs that the collective knew. So it was like a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> I just went ahead and played with. But there was a lot of Zeppelin and stuff right. like that. Guys my age. Right. Uh, right. Wow. So, so, Dino. Yeah. I smell a reunion. Yeah. You know? Seriously. You get the band back together and. Hey, you know what? I, I've been called back to speak to the group at my rehab. My counselors are so proud of me. And they're mm -hmm. so happy that I wrote the book. And I said, when I come back, I want to do, uh, uh, I want to speak in front of the group. And then I want to go into the music studio. They're like, <laughs> they're like anytime, anytime. Absolutely. Oh, so, yeah. And yeah. it's a really rewarding experience. I've done that myself going back and I still do it. I just did it virtually. And I was fortunate enough to go to Hazelden and I have regular opportunities to speak and share with folks in treatment at Hazelden. And it's a really rewarding experience. It is. It's really cool. It's really cool. And I mean, if you haven't done it, you come back. It's, it's almost like a class reunion. You know what I totally. mean? It's like you got to you speak during graduation. I love it. I love it. We are going to have all of the things that we talked about in the show notes. We will have a link for there is no box. We will awesome. have a handy link for the song I'm Still Standing by Elton John. So you don't even have to Google it. It'll be right in the show notes. That's we will awesome. have all of Dino's contact information in the show notes so check that out right now as you're listening dino thank you so much hey thank you man i had so much fun i this really, was tremendous. really thank you thank you and for everybody listening out there you know uh there are signs man <laughs> just follow them because there are signs okay he does answer you just have to be listening Ain't that the truth? And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, Com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.